My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review. The Christopher Peter Review provides original content discussing salient current events in our political environment, business community, global world, domestic society, and sports and entertainment. In each of the five segments, the focus will always be to center on facts, evidence, and data. Please experience the five podcast segments that make up the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome to the CRC Conversation on the Christopher Peter Review, where we discuss leading current events impacting our public policy. The biggest story shaping our political environment is undeniably the formal entrance of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis into the 2024 presidential race, where he will join a host of other candidates taking on the daunting task of challenging former President Donald Trump, who is currently in a favorable position. If anyone can successfully prevent a rematch of one of the most toxic presidential contests in recent American history, it may be Governor Ron DeSantis, who one can reasonably argue is the most credible candidate on either side of the ticket. The best indicator of whether a person is prepared for a job or promotion is how well they performed in their current and prior roles. To be completely fair, if a person held a similar role in the past and succeeded in that role, that is important to consider. There is no state performing like the state of Florida. The Sunshine State is the preferred destination of Americans fleeing deep blue states like New York, New Jersey, California, and others. In the past, people retired to Florida. Now they go to thrive in Florida. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the person who deserves the credit for making Florida the haven of sanity in a non-chaotic manner that should be respected by both conservatives and moderate Republicans alike. I believe the appeal of DeSantis is that he secures common-sense wins on major issues in the political arena without the circus that is typical of Trump and Biden. People like the results of Trump's policy, but many can no longer accept the antics from Trump. Biden lacks the capacity to be a functioning politician let alone President of the United States. DeSantis becomes the candidate best positioned to make the argument that he can bring Trump's policy success back without the anxiety and hysteria that occurred. I think we have to acknowledge that the idea that Ron DeSantis will bring the perceived policy success Trump enjoyed during his term in office without the drama is a projection. While Trump did himself no favors with his Twitter rants and attacks, the media played a great role in creating a hysteria-driven environment. The fabricated narratives his political opponents used in their attacks. The one thing we can guarantee is that any Republican president will receive similar treatment from the media that has consistent liberal bias and the Democrats will see no reason to not consider the same playbook that worked with Trump. There is no way of truly knowing what will happen until an event happens. But we do have to project from the facts, evidence, and data we have currently to make a prediction about the future. There always is a discussion about records. And records matter for all candidates. In the general, the candidate with the most troubling record will be Joe Biden. He has brought a level of purposeful decline not seen in quite some time. Probably since President Andrew Johnson. We can reasonably predict what a second Biden term would look like. We also can reasonably predict what a second Trump term would look like based on what he did during his first term and the fact that many stalwarts will not return to a Trump administration. The current economic, political, and social state for the state of Florida shows that we can reasonably project that DeSantis can be effective at the national level. Interesting to see that the state is becoming more conservative and more Republican, yet draws people from blue states. Not just from those demographics. I think we make the mistake that we think everyone is an ideologue. I believe many people want good politicians with good track records with good ideas to lead society. I think many people do not want to see fundamental transformation of America. Rather just sound judgment and rational decision making in our leadership. The appeal of Ron DeSantis cannot be denied. He is a great governor based on performance and the support growth he has experienced in Florida.
But the reality is that Trump currently sits atop the polling, despite all his flaws, investigations, and weird approach to the start of his campaign. We spoke about this in the past, where we stated that Trump has the numbers in his favor and the infrastructure of the nomination process will favor him. Largely because of his loyal base. Support for Trump is something that his political opponents have struggled to solve. Reducing his appeal to independence was key in 2020. But the abomination that is the Biden presidency may change that in 2024. Which matters because the argument against Trump would be the inability to bridge the gap to win. The challenge for DeSantis will be overcoming the Trump numbers advantage in a manner that enables Trump and DeSantis supporters to unite in November. I think Republicans should have a concern that a heated contest between Trump and DeSantis could fracture the Republican electorate that affords Biden the ability to squeak out a win in November. There are many political pundits who believe that there is a potential problem with the Trump or no one crowd that could reduce the Republican number when it matters most. We know that Democrats are not enthusiastically supporting Biden. But I think those numbers may improve for him amongst Democrats when it gets closer to election day and they realize they have something to lose. The real question is how can DeSantis do what Democrats, the media, and some government bad actors all tried to do? I believe he will have to work to build a relationship with Trump voters and create that off-ramp in a manner that does not question their support. The problem with attacking a politician like Obama or Trump is that their bases will quickly go into defense mode when anything said or written appears to put their politician in a negative light. We hear the claim of fake news or right-wing conspiracy. So there is great difficulty in breaking that bond. I think DeSantis will need to show that we can potentially have a great economy, secure border, and real foreign policy without the circus that distracts from the real goals at hand. I agree that there will be attempts to use the same playbook against DeSantis. But I think he has shown the ability to articulately push back against the liberal biased media at the national level. He pushed back against their false narratives during COVID reopening and won in a manner driven by logic. I also believe there is a difference between how the public perceives Trump and DeSantis. During a recent trip, I spoke with a person who was staunchly anti-Trump reliable Democrat voter. In the past, he normally supported the Democratic side of the ballot. I was surprised to hear that he was very interested in Ron DeSantis and potentially supported him to be the next president. I do think there is value in understanding and acknowledging the shortcomings of Republican candidates over time. Those typically dubbed as Republican in name only, who campaign on traditional Republican values and governed as Democratic light. I think Trump made it clear to Republicans that there are now consequences for politicians who do not take their principles seriously. Ironically, it took a populist for Republicans to take the growing disconnect seriously. But I think many are coming around to the idea that Trump had his moment and it is time to see what is the next phase of the movement. But the continued actions of the Democrats reignite the support. From the Democrat perspective, I believe they would rather take their chances with a rematch. There is no denying the fact that Biden is weakened. To their credit, they successfully played the cards they were dealt. A pandemic that kept people away from large events. And afforded them the ability to control access to Biden, whose capacity was in decline. There is no hiding him this time around. The cat is out of the bag. He will secure the nomination because he is the only credible candidate in the pipeline that is not a hardliner for the progressive wing, who promote policies the average American detest. Biden will try to leverage experience. But he has years in public service but not a record of positive performance or delivering real results to the American people. A Biden-DeSantis matchup will not be very friendly. But a Trump-Biden rematch may be worse because of the lack of discipline on the Trump side. Combined with the additional baggage. Real or not, there is a cloud that some will not get past. 
I agree that Democrats would probably rather face an opponent that you know rather than an ascending talent. The next presidential election will involve Biden doing all he can to put a positive spin on his record. The Biden team would rather go into a contest that involves two contenders have issues than a candidate who is on the rise and can articulate the valid case to turn the page. There are many people who never support Trump regardless of the real harm it does to them personally. Many people work to make themselves resistant to bad public policy to some degree. So there will be those that say it does not matter who wins. There will be a stark difference in the appearance of leadership between Biden, who has not had any real success on any issue, and DeSantis who is undeniably doing great things in Florida. I am not sure Republicans will do well with a large slate of candidates. Besides Trump and DeSantis, who will be the two frontrunners, Republicans will hear from Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Trump VP Mike Pence, and others. A wide slate of candidates combined with that Trump loyal base will be hard to overcome. But I think Ron DeSantis will probably get some help from the Trump campaign and Trump himself. I am not sure Trump is really making a strong case for a second term. The idea that rehashing the past is the way to go is not one that grows your coalition. Sure, Democrats made inroads with their big lie about Russia stealing the 2020 election. But, Americans do not have to care about the idea that one candidate feels wronged. Candidates now have to make the case that they are fit to meet the challenges of today. Not to placate the ego of one candidate. Elections are about the people casting the ballots. Not the names of the politicians on the ballot. The problem with being a populist is that eventually your messaging can get exposed. There is no denying that Trump did not get a fair shake from the media elite who simply would not set aside their biases. Democrats took the ends justifies the means approach and scraped the bottom of the barrel in their attacks of Trump. The biggest flop came from Trump himself, when he made the situation about him and not the people who supported him. It was me first and I am the victim approach. When one would expect a candidate to point out that they just silenced your vote. Not enough proof that it was stolen, but the approach he took was telling and that is a problem. A problem that many populists struggle with. Welcome to my global segment, where I will discuss global current events, ideas, or. I think it is important for people to travel even if it is visiting a different state or section or your state. From time to time you should gain a different perspective on how people live. The different ways of life that exist. And gain a different viewpoint that could help you in your own community. Many people view the world myopically through their experiences, biases, education level, cultural traditions, and social attitudes. That is normal. But I believe that challenging our views and our definition of normalcy is important to see what opportunities there are for improvements. During a recent trip to Maine, I was driving through a town that was similar to many beach towns I have been to in New Jersey, New York, and Delaware. Similar but far from the same as there was a glaring difference. A clear lack of stop signs to help direct traffic. I mentioned this omission to a local who was working at the place I was staying and he informed me that this was not an oversight but a purposeful removal. He noted that they added stop signs in the past and experienced a great level of traffic congestion and high accident rates. When they went back to the normal of not having stop signs, people went back to being more aware of their surroundings and abiding by the pedestrian right-of-way culture. For a person who has lived in New Jersey, New York City, Long Island, and Philadelphia, this was a shift from my perception of what normal traffic management should entail. Was it the local government officials shirking their responsibility to public safety? Or was it local public officials understanding what works for their community even in the midst of tourists and visitors? When in Rome, most do as the Romans do. Now, there might be a misinterpretation of the data or too small of a sample size to prove that stop signs and stop signals may be useful. But it works for that town. 
a nice quirky but friendly town who run a community that caters to pedestrian traffic and the walking experience. A great experience and one that I hope to do again soon. I think it is easy to view the world through our myopic lenses at times if we do not take the time to understand that people and communities are unique and can hold different perspectives than other groups of people and communities. You do not need to leave our border to understand this phenomenon as I pointed out. Going to a foreign land, it is understandable that people will have different experiences, cultures, and views of how life should be lived. But I think we forget that the United States has the same type of diversity, when you experience it in real life, not just the stereotypical biased version we see on TV. Being a New Jersey driver in many other of the 50 states you can get pretty frustrated at the number of people who treat the left lane of highways as if they were school zones. Going from New York City to Long Island, you will see the culture is completely different. Some people are quick to point out that another person is wrong if they view the world differently than they do. How can that person be so naive? But how can we be so naive when we do not consider that the idea of normal is relative to one's environment and experiences? Even though I try to appreciate the differences in our society, I sometimes fall into these mental traps. How can someone call a sandwich any name other than a hoagie? How can someone not like pizza? Sorry but sometimes a meal consisting of a hot dog or a hamburger can be good eating. Different world perspectives should not make us feel like our views are wrong but just that there are more angles to consider when we look at our society, our social problems, and our ideas to make America greater than it currently is or to restore its excellence. Greatness is not defined solely by the metrics of one segment but of the collective need and the greatest good for the greatest number of people. One community is not more important than another. So our perspectives cannot be limited to the advancement of one group or geographic location, but how all communities, all people, all areas can be better tomorrow than they are today. Take some time to travel to our great nation. In the future, I will discuss more about the road trips that helped shape my love for America. Welcome to the business and industry segment of our podcast, where I will talk about key topics in investing, brand performance, and other issues impacting our business community. The banks are now stable according to those in the know. At least that is what they tell us that there should not be any additional banks that will fail or need to be forced to merge into another institution and see their assets sold. The impacted institutions were smaller banks that serve specific niche customers. For instance, customers like tech startups or crypto institutions. Customers that are very volatile and also extremely susceptible to changes in interest rates and regulation. For instance, the crash of the crypto market should have been a clear wake-up call for banks catering to these niche institutions to adjust their asset holdings and even prepare for write-offs from institutions that face the same fate as FTX. There are many people who became drawn to small local banks. Following the financial crisis, there was a great level of anger aimed at the large banks, who took down the global economy. Also, many small banks offered perks that the larger banks knew better not to. Perks that do not make sense when you think closely or rationally. How can a bank allow customers to consistently overdraw accounts without charging any fees at all? I get the compassion aspect, but essentially these institutions are providing free loans to customers who pose a systemic risk. It is natural to have cash flow issues at times. But that is not something you want to normalize. Either you are spending consistently outside of your means or you need to increase your income stream. Enabling bad habits is not really a good business strategy for legitimate organizations but every company needs to make a case for prospective customers to do business with them. For these banks, a winning argument is that they are more forgiving than the larger corporate global banks tend to be. This builds off of the traditional argument small businesses make of being your friendly neighborhood friend that knows you better than the distant corporation worrying more about the reactions of those on Wall Street than the millions of faceless customers. I am a fan of small business and supporting local brands. 
I have heard business owners make the argument that people should make purchases with small businesses because the impact is local and it means much more for their business than the large corporation. To some degree, they are right. Successful small businesses will help the communities that they are located in. Hounds take pride in being the home of a growing expanding organization. Personally, I feel like there needs to be a more competitive message than simply appealing to one's sense of community. The reason I prefer not to use small local banks is because I travel to different states and need to know I can find a branch if necessary. Also, I prefer to patronize a bank that has a wide selection of services just in case I may need it in the future. I am not able to convince myself to settle for less and pay more simply for the perceived benefit of my community at the time. There are many sectors where I think the local options are better than the national chains. For instance, restaurants and fine dining are typically better at local restaurants than national chains. While I am a patron of McDonald's, you get a much better burger at a local burger shop than you would at any local McDonald's restaurant. I think fans of Italian cuisine prefer local restaurants over the standard offerings from the Olive Garden, which I will admit is good. But the quality is still different than what you would get from a well-run Italian restaurant. Local pizzerias are far better quality than the national chains. Although the national chains can be useful at times. One aspect to consider is that the national chains come with certain conveniences not always available with small businesses. Most national chains have agreements with leading national banks and credit networks, meaning you will be able to use your preferred debit or credit card in any location across the country. There are many small businesses who still want to remain cash only. Either not willing to pay the administration fees or want to control what they report on tax filings. While others see the fee as the cost of doing business, some still are old world in regards to this popular convenience available with any national chain. In the age of technology and fintech, seeing the cash-only signs can be a deterrent for patronizing a place. The other day I was thinking about patronizing a local store, but I was not sure if they took Samsung Pay, so I decided to go with a national option instead. Interesting, during a trip to Maine I saw a sign saying no cash accepted. A rarity but interesting. For small businesses, I believe they need to accept the need to incorporate the modern conveniences of the time. Accepting card payment, digital payment, and others is important. It should simply be considered the cost of customer acquisition. Sure, some have ATMs that add cost to the customer experience, but you do not want to get potential customers more reasons to look elsewhere. As I pointed out earlier, I do believe small businesses have the advantage in the customer experience but having to accept limitations in service while paying a bit more is a barrier that some may not want to engage with. Combining the experience advantage with closing the convenience gap is a path forward that could reach more customer groups. One innovation I would suggest is for some small businesses to change the way they view their business. Many small business owners look at their business as a small business. They want to serve their communities, their friends, and have a set of regulars. Rather small business owners need to view their business as a startup, where they look for ways to grow and connect with new customer bases. Gain new locations, new revenue streams, and profits. In the age of technology, businesses are not limited to just their geographic location. They can reach customers all over the world, depending on what products they sell or services they provide. So they should dream big and operate with a growth mentality. One way to compete with national chains is to prevent people from entering them in the first place. Having a good e-commerce experience can help you gain sales otherwise lost. Communities across our society need a blend of large businesses to bolster local employment and small businesses to create a vibrant local economy. I never believed it is the responsibility of the governments to determine winners and losers, but I do believe they can help small businesses have a fighting chance to protect market competition, choice, and consumer experiences. 
I think we should support local and small businesses when appropriate and small businesses should help this effort by ensuring they can match the convenience available at national competition. Sometimes a place that knows your name might not be enough. Sometimes you have to provide a better overall experience. Welcome to our sports and entertainment segment, where we talk about the occurrences in the world of sports or events that entertained us. The NBA Finals matchup is finally set as the Miami Heat nearly squandered a three games to one lead in the Eastern Conference Finals before emphatically winning Game 7 against the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics were trying to be the first team to overcome a three-game deficit. The game was over early as Jason Tatum injured his ankle on the very first possession. Then the Heat took over from there. A game that was reminiscent of the NFC Championship game where it was impacted by an early injury. For Game 6, I watched the end of the game in the New England area surrounded by Celtics fans who were thrilled by the end of the game. But some sounded afterwards concerned about the way the Celtics played. Others still had the parade planned. The Miami Heat defeated the Milwaukee Bucks, the Eastern Conference top seed and the team with the overall best record in the NBA. And now the second seed in the Eastern Conference and the second best overall record in the NBA. They now get the challenge of taking on the top seed in the West, who won their playoff rounds pretty convincingly. The Denver Nuggets defeated the star-laden Phoenix Suns, who only played a handful of games together following the blockbuster trade for Kevin Durant. Then defeated LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers in four close games. Many will look at this matchup and say that the Miami Heat are punching above their weight class. The Denver Nuggets look like the better team. They should win. They did not need a play-in tournament berth. They coasted to the top seed. But the Miami Heat are the ultimate underdog team in sports. Well coached with players who play for each other not just the name on the back. They are not a pushover by any means and the Nuggets will see that. Like it or not, basketball players are judged largely by the number of championships they earned in their careers. In other team sports, fans and media are willing to consider the bigger picture to rank players. Football teams, baseball teams, and hockey teams all have larger rosters than basketball. There are more nuances to their likelihood of success. But in basketball, there is a perception that less is needed to be successful. Just two great players and bodies to collect defensive fouls. So the star or stars are not exonerated for their playoff failures as other sports. Because they can impact the game individually than others and therefore hold more responsibility. For either Nikola Jokic or Jimmy Butler, they will be able to cement their legacy to validate the career success they have had without winning a ring to this point. Nikola Jokic, a two-time most valuable player with limited playoff success before this year can solidify his status amongst the great big men in the league. Jimmy Butler, a star player, who consistently elevates his game each year come the postseason. Earning the persona Playoff Jimmy. This year Playoff Jimmy can become champion Jimmy if he can get to four wins before the Denver Nuggets. So who will win? I think the quick answer and popular take will be the Denver Nuggets. They have the better roster with Jokic, Jamal Murray, and many others. All of whom have played consistently throughout these playoffs but I am not sure it is easy to pick against a team that is best when the odds are stacked against them. The Miami Heat are not intimidated by anyone. While many are making a big deal about the cheap shot that occurred in 2021, I am not sure that the incident is as big of a motivating factor since the impacted player is not on their roster. For a person centered on facts, evidence, and data, I should be instantly picking the Denver Nuggets because that is what the numbers say who will win. And I agree that the Denver Nuggets will win this year's NBA Finals but I do think that Miami will make a series out of it. Denver in 6. If it goes 7, then Miami will win. Welcome to our social discussion for this week. The format will now include the entire team, where I will introduce a topic or issue, the team will provide varying points of view, and Jennifer will offer the recap.
The objective of a good marketer is to broaden the appeal of the brand, product, or service being promoted to the widest audience possible. Reducing barriers to purchase while increasing appeal is what marketers aim to do. The exception to the rule would be marketers supporting brands that cater to specific market segments like niche companies. Or companies that produce limited supply of the products or want a customer base that has exclusive access. Generally, a company wants to appeal to the broadest segments in a society. Recently, many brands made some mistakes in their branding, where they have been perceived to shift who their target audience is and the customer bases that are central to their focus. Rather than making subtle brand expansion to include broader communities, some brands have been trying to appear as the champion of diversity by moving consumer groups currently not buying their products to the center of their marketing campaigns. For those who have not found a balanced approach, they have experienced revolts by their actual customers, who do not want to be defined by the marketing campaigns run by these brands who are seeking to appeal to small consumer bases not currently spending money on their product. I have heard arguments on both sides of the issue. Those opposing conservative boycotts argue that what is the big deal? If a company like Target did not have sufficient sales, the push would stop or it would be limited to markets with the populations they are targeting. Are conservatives just being discriminatory and being angry that Bud Light is catering towards the trans community so overtly? What is the big deal if they want to add a new consumer target to their brand appeal? That would be the practice of expanding your brand appeal right? I think to some degree there are valid points. I also agree to some degree that the marketing approach does alienate existing customer bases because of the push of brand attributes marketers want to associate with their customer bases. Some marketing campaigns focus simply on promoting products and services. Others want products and services to define their customers. And I believe this is where these brands need to be more careful in marketing to specific groups rather than taking a broader appeal. I think some of the issue is with the campaign approach rather than the intent of the brand expansion. The goal of every business is to grow each year and expand market share. How do businesses achieve this? Retain current customers while attracting new ones. Brands must ensure that they are serving the needs of those who currently buy their product and identify ways to attract customers who could be served by their product. Traditionally, many brand managers were careful to stay away from politics because of its divisive nature, which is generally bad for business. A famous line attributed to the great Michael Jordan is him saying that Republicans buy sneakers too. We can all agree that why should a business limit their sales potential due to political views? In response to the societal changing moment following the George Floyd murder, many companies felt the need to embrace politics in order to avoid the wrath of consumers who may feel that their brands exclude them from the core of society. So some companies wanted to be forthright in their embracing political positions that would attract customers. This obviously made companies look self-serving and weak. The overtness in trying to appeal to groups is an obvious money grab and superficial connection for commerce purposes only. Do these organizations really care about the issues that concern your community or the simply the dollars that may go elsewhere if they do not make an apparent effort to connect with your community? I do not think conservatives have an issue with Bud Light trying to expand appeal to new groups. Just do so in a manner that is not disruptive to the connection they already have with its consumer base. Bud Light is a value brand in the sense that it wants customers to connect with its products because of what it stands for and attributes applied to those seen drinking the beer. Obviously, when a value brand decides to associate with those whose behaviors are contradictory to those who traditionally use the product, there is a misalignment. That creates an opportunity for the base to reevaluate their associations. Bud Light's decision to associate with a controversial person created a decision point for many beer drinkers who now no longer want to be associated with the brand. Bud Light essentially told their customer base, confirmed by the remarks by the former marketing VP, that they are no longer valued by the beer brand. 
that a consumer group consisting of less than 3% of society is a bigger target for them than the broader base of America. Obviously, Bud Light made its bed and must lie in it. For Target, the retail chain is also a value brand, where it caters to those wanting trendy products and things. In retail, stores make it clear the type of customers they intend to attract by what they offer and how close to the front of the store the items are located. But Target has always been a company that is a bit more on the left of center, so it is not that big of a disconnect as the Bud Light situation. Brands need to be careful in how they balance politics in their business models. The issue comes when marketing campaigns attempt to confirm the stereotypes or unresolved accusations on or from certain groups in society. People do not want to purchase from brands that make them feel bad for something they played no part in or normalize something they may object to or simply do not want to have an opinion on. The conservative boycotts are a political response to what they feel is an overt expansion of wokeism, where politicians, organizations, and brands are placing a greater importance on diversity, which some may feel is being done in an imbalanced manner. Conservatives are essentially copying what progressives did to bring these imbalance approaches to fruition. While some may argue that race and demographics are playing too great of a role in company decisions, brand campaigns, and recruitment, others will argue it always has. Diversity is important and brands need to show they are open to selling to anyone and everyone. That should be true of all brands. If someone can afford your product or service and can be a beneficial customer, why not sell to them? I do think approaches matter. While some on the progressive left want bold and in-your-face confirmation of their existence, others may say that is overkill and unwarranted. One can acknowledge your right to exist without it being overt and overwhelming. But I think brands do feel the need to make their welcome as clear and obvious as possible because that is what it takes to connect with customers in the marketplace. The quiet nice person finishes last in a society that embraces disruptive and uncomfortable over-the-top promotions. I think there are valid issues with some of the promotions. Like the Lost Dodgers accepting a group that is perceived to be anti-Catholic. Do we want to normalize the Christian hate while trying to pretend to be inclusive? I think that was one too far. We should embrace diversity. That does not mean we have to accept everything that is supposedly done to promote diversity. Companies have the opportunity to do a great level of good in society. But many companies should understand where their efforts can help create positive change and where their efforts may harm not only themselves but others. The difficult part organizations must navigate in highly emotional and politically divisive environments is not taking a position of blame or complete confirmation of one side or the other, rather finding areas where they offer a solution or a bridge. In many controversial situations, we in society want a clear right and wrong. Was Bud Light completely right in trying to connect with the trans community or were they completely wrong? I do not think that one can say it is either. I think the rational position is that there is nothing wrong with trying to expand the brand appeal to new groups. Even if those groups are small percentages of the population. I think you need to consider who you are doing business with and how the messaging can be done in a manner that is not disruptive to your current base. Do you think there would be this level of uproar if Bud Light decided to do a pride theme can rather than hiring a brand ambassador with controversial content? I think that would have afforded them the ability to connect without many thinking twice. If you do not like the can, you could always buy the regular. Interesting with Target because the controversial material is not that obvious when you go to a Target or maybe I do not pay attention to the level others. As a value brand, I do think Target does seem to try to be trendy. 
They are a company that caters to the flavor of the month. Our politics will always seep into other areas of society. We see that in our entertainment, sports, and now in business. So naturally there will be pushback when people feel their respective lines have been crossed. The hope is that people can separate their personal and political views from the duty they serve in society. Their assigned duties in government, the corporate world, academia, entertainment, sports, or elsewhere. But many are not able to. Therefore if you allow your political leanings impact the perception of your employers then you can expect to see pushback when the approach goes too far one way or the other. I think we all are in agreement that businesses need to expand their brand appeal for the sustainability of their brands. You must always be thinking of ways to keep your current customers happy while identifying new groups to add on. The main objective is keeping your current customers happy because they are the ones that are already there. They already pay for your product or services. And they do so repeatedly. They are the rock that you will build and grow your business from. New customers are costly. A time-honored rule is that new customers cost an organization way more than a current customer, whose cost of acquisition reduces over time. New customers need to be convinced to even consider your product. So keep your current customer base happy. The real benefit of these controversies will be Miller Lite and probably Walmart. These consumers are not going to stop drinking beer, just your beer. They are not going to stop shopping just at your store. That is what happens when you create a disconnect between your brand and loyal customers. Your competitors benefit, even temporarily. And once you lose them it is a difficult and costly journey to get them back. That is what Bud Light faces, as they are launching new advertising campaigns that are reek of desperation. Somewhat of an acknowledgement that they messed up and they want the customers back. I agree that a can idea probably would have been a less disruptive approach to opening up the Bud Light brand to new segments. I do not think that the people upset about the campaign are discriminatory. People do not like having false attributes assigned to them by lifestyle brands that say if you use our product this is what you are. For instance, drivers of Tesla want the world to know they are environmentally conscious. You could make your own coffee but buying Starbucks each morning is a signal of career success. Brand managers now realize that they can face effective pushback from the left and right. Now, there are consequences for companies that take political stances in their marketing and promotion. Not just from the angry left anymore. Something that will create challenges going forward. But rightfully so. I thank you for experiencing this episode of the Christopher Peter Review. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review at www.crcreview.com.